would you define that as a dashboard? I'm almost. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at New York University where I do research in data visualization. Right, and uh, my name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And actually I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. Yes, and in this podcast, we talk about data visualization analysis and generally the role that data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with one or more guests. Yeah, that we invite on the show. Today we had a super special position. So usually you have to know we record through like an online recording tool and Enrico is in New York, I'm <laughs> on the countryside, but today we're both in Berlin yes. in the same room. <laughs> We even have Florian, our sound engineer, around. Yes. Uh, and uh, and we have three guests here. Three guests. So we used the opportunity to finally do a proper live recording, which yeah. is awesome. I, I don't know when. Did we ever have three guests live? No. Nope. No. It's, it's a first, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And we're just coming out of Information Plus, which was great, which was on the weekend in my old alma mater homeschool uh, in uh, FA Potsdam. Yeah. And it was a good conference. I think we should do something um, about uh, it when the videos are episode? out. Yeah, yeah I, I we would, should do that. Yeah, it was a really good conference. And now there's the VIS conference, the academic yeah. conference, and loads of events around it. There's an arts program, data stories, listener meetup tonight. So yeah, we're super we are excited so for that. pumped up. And um, uh, another meetup up on Thursday. So Berlin is right now the center of gravity <laughs> for data. the center of gravity, yeah. So, and we said we want to use this opportunity to bring a few people together on an episode we wanted to do for a year almost now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, I have to confess, that's one of my favorite data visualization projects out there. So I'm really happy to be talking about peak spotting. And um, we have the creators, all the creators of this project here. Uh, so we have Christian Au, Stefan Thiel, and Christian Lesser here. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and of course, Moritz is also involved in the project. Yeah, that, I have this funny double role that yeah. I'm uh, both a guest and a moderator today. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. So guys, um, maybe you can briefly introduce yourself. We can start with Christian. Sure. Uh, my name is Christian Au. Uh, I have been the initiator and head of peak spotting at Deutsche Bahn and am since February of this year a professor of strategy at the University of Applied Sciences in Mainz. So I'm the second Christian, Christian Lesser, <laughs> and I'm a freelance data visualization and interaction designer here based in Berlin. And I did in this project user experience design mainly. And my name is Stefan Thiel. I'm co-founder and managing director of Studio NAND, a data visualization and interaction design studio here in Berlin. And there's an extended team behind me that also worked on PeakSpotting, of course. So shout out to the team there as well. And former guest. And right? former guest, yeah. <laughs> Just looked it up, 2012. 2012? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Number 11 of the episode. Wow. You guys did an amazing job like doing data stories for so long. It's really great. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we want to talk about the project, of course, and um, I think we should start by 
describing peak spotting, right? What it is about. Um, yeah, I didn't mention that it's about visualizing the German trains, but Stefan, you can maybe start yes. and explain to us what the project is about. Yeah, I mean, um, peak spotting helps manage the capacity of the vast German railway network. So um, as you can imagine, you have a large team of very diverse people that Christian can uh, much better introduce in terms of their roles in managing this network. But from traffic control to yield management to um, traveler steering, to so to say, so make sure the tra travelers pick the routes that are, uh, they are going to be most happy with uh, in their travel experience. So there's a large group of different people and we support them with an interactive visualization okay. software that makes visible predictions of train loads 100 days into the future. So it's like a little glass bulb in the, into the future, looking into the future and, and figuring out what's going to happen in the network in a certain amount of t days and to help people do actions about those potential bottlenecks. Yeah. Where are they happening and when are they happening? Yeah. Would you would you define that as a dashboard? I'm almost. Let's go right. Yeah, jump headfirst in. <laughs> How would you call it? it I, I would really call it an interactive, interactive interface. Ap interface Inter application. Yep. It's a yeah. tool rather than a, 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 the notion of a dashboard is always like you know showing people data. They might care about one way or the other, but sometimes they don't even uh, understand stand or are being picked up as users. That's yeah. all of what we are going to talk about. But um, it's really important to not treat this as a one way to the user from the data to the user, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. also for the users back to the data. And this is, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. all the aspects mm -hmm. we find fascinating about it. So it's an interactive application. And it has no speedometer. No <laughs> speedometer. <laughs> not a dashboard. No. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no glossy graphics nope. Nope. and uh, 3D pie charts and <laughs> we, have, we have a nicely animated dynamic map though which serves yeah. a great purpose but also we can talk about this later <laughs> at its core it's basically it's an application where you can get an overview of 100 days in advance and just see oh what will be the worst days in terms of passenger loads go into a day see a lot of different views on that day understand the bottlenecks uh -huh, different uh -huh. systemic problems and then go into individual trains even and individual train legs and understand exactly how the booking situation is on these trains. Mm -hmm. So how far ahead can you predict? The, the predictions always yeah. work 100 days into the future from any given oh. day you are looking at it. So okay. uh, there's always predictions generated for the next 100 days. That's based on some machine learning type of... Yes, it is. Um, it's also it, This model takes into account previous bookings, uh, other contextual data at some point in the future, hopefully. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it does. So there's actually quite a sophisticated model behind that uh -huh. um, that does the prediction for not uh, not only the trains, but also the legs uh, on the train services and different booking classes, first wow. and second class. Wow. Germany is also unique in terms of uh, traveling. So that's why, I mean, people can always go on a train yeah. to, 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 to travel, but you will t tell a little bit maybe about this, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe Christian, you can just explain how the project started. What, how, how did it start? Yeah, so um, the idea was actually born, I think, um, around Christmas 2016. And we had on the 23rd of December in 2016 um, a situation where we predicted a very high load of passengers that wanted to use our train services. Mm -hmm. So it was actually the day with the highest amount of traveler that we ever had seen in the system, uh, more than half a million people on a yeah. single day. And um, these people were planning to take one of our 800 plus train services. 
And uh, there's a group of experts that Stefan already mentioned, um, revenue managers, people in traffic control, that were actually uh, responsible for for handling this this load of passengers. So making sure that they are distributed equally or at least uh, distributed in a way on trains that there is no um, overbooking or an overload. And that's something that's very peculiar about the German railway system. It's not like other European railway systems or airlines where you have to book a seat in advance or, or a ticket, but it's rather a metro system system where you can hop on and off at any point in time. So mm -hmm. you don't need a reservation, you mm -hmm. don't need a ticket, you can buy mm -hmm. the ticket on the train, mm -hmm. um, which is very convenient for customers, obviously, yeah. um, because it means you can, you know, at last yeah. minute decide that you're taking a train, but yeah. causes some issues um, on the side of the... Of Congestion. The, Yeah, of the Deutsche Bahn when you may want to make sure that there's no overloading. And yeah. overload can mean that there are basically more people than seats on the train, which is not that critical, yeah. inconvenient, but not critical. But of course, from a certain point on, there are so many people on the train that you're not actually allowed to go further and have to stop. People have to get off oh, the train, wow. um, which is inconvenient for the customers and also causes delays in the whole system. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that was basically the, the challenge. And the more people you have in the system, the, the bigger the challenge is. And um, the, these experts that um, were managing the, tra the passenger load basically really had to focus on two quite simple questions at first sight. Where and when do we have situations in the network where we have a critical overload situation? Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, so in December 2016, we had already a lot of you know sophisticated models that predicted the passenger load mm -hmm. but there were no tools or not no adequate tools to really uh, look at the data so the mm -hmm. tools that existed back then were basically more or less table a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they looked like yeah. spreadsheet with a lot of columns, so more yeah. than 30 columns. Um, a lot of the color gray uh, was involved and it was always <laughs> focusing on one train. So you basically had to choose a train and then you saw the predictions for one train. Yeah. What was missing was basically the view of the whole system. Yeah. And um, it was Lots also... Lots of trees, no forest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually was also, I mean, when you wanted to look up a train or, or let's say three trains, you really had to go to each single train and basically take yeah. notes and that kind of stuff. So that was not really convenient. And um, so for this December 23rd, uh, the day where we had this high amount of passengers, um, at the end of the day, everything worked out fine, but we realized that, you know, we need to upgrade our game. And mm. actually users were um, trying to, to empower themselves by printing out um, diagrams, path time <laughs> diagrams or Marie di diagrams and highlighted with text markers, basically, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the passenger load of the train. So we, we saw that the users basically wanted additional ways of, working with the data that we couldn't provide with the tools that were existing back then. Um, and that was basically then kickstarting this project or, you know, the idea of, well, let's let's see if we can bring in some real experts. Uh, the data was SWAT team that basically really <laughs> helps us in, in getting better at that because we had good data. I can confirm they look like a SWAT team. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that was the idea. And um, so we had basically, we had very good data model that we could use and access to data, which is, uh, I mean, extremely valuable, as everyone knows who has been involved in these kind of projects. Um, yeah. And um, so we thought that, you know, there, there must be a way to really use this data in a better way yeah. to answer the questions, these basic questions that the users had uh, in, a, in a more efficient way. Yeah, I really like the fact that you started from questions, right? Because mm -hmm. people normally start from data, mm -hmm. right? But even the way you describe it is like people have these questions and I think that's... Uh And I think Certainly that was a, yeah. a critical factor yeah. to get the project on a good path. I, I remember well, so Christian wrote this first email introducing the problem and, yeah. you know, the challenge. And it was 
quite crisp and clear in terms of, okay, yeah. we have tried these things, we have this type of data, we know we can get this far with standard tools, but now we also know we have this additional need for yeah. custom visualizations. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then it was also clear, okay, this is a great um, opportunity to do something good. Sure. Um, if, if it's already so clear, you know, what the purpose of the, the tool is and why it's needed. Often clients approach me and they just think they need a visualization yeah. for various <laughs> reasons, but sometimes not really the best solution. Yeah, even, I right? have to say, after the fact, seeing the project for me was like, Oh, finally, some 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 solid stuff out there. It's a real interactive visual. I would call it visual analytics right. system. It's 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 and it's evident that it's really really useful to someone. And uh, and the way I was also very eager to prove yeah, finally. To prove, yeah, yeah, I, I wanted yeah. personally. I was on <laughs> also to prove that this type of web based, highly custom crafted yes, visualization can, can deliver a yeah. value that is high enough that you know justifies the the extra work and the risk yeah. that that goes into building something unique rather than buying a, a ready made solution. Yeah, yeah, and you know sometimes. Some people may say, but that's a narrow set of people that you're serving, but they have a really relevant role, right? Yes. So I, I see a lot of potential for these somewhat narrow applications, but they do solve very complex and important problems that ultimately have an impact on a much larger uh, yeah. 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 People, very large right? group yes. of people. Mm -hmm. And I think so, uh, to your point, you know, where did we start? Um, we actually didn't start with questions, but with decisions mm. that people mm. oh, had. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's tasks. even better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the Absolutely. question was, how can you influence basically the load factor of trends yes. and then yes. you basically talk about decisions that specific roles can take and yeah. in order to answer this or make good decisions they have to have some informations or answer themselves questions and that yeah. is that was the starting point that also means and I think that's something that probably when we talk about the users and how it is used uh, I think shows um, it's important to understand you know the specific user and that then also means that the tools are used because if yeah. you're not specific enough then sometimes it looks great but there is no direct yeah, connection yeah, to your yeah. everyday work um, and that then means a lack of usage. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what happened, right, next. Uh, so the, the SWAT team came, right? And uh, I don't know, Moritz, you want to talk about a little bit about the process that you guys followed? Sure, yeah, yeah. Because also in the beginning I was most involved and yeah. there's often a role I take. <laughs> it's like figuring out what to do and yeah. what the, the, the rough direction of everything is. So... Um, yeah, Christian provided uh, us with the data sets and the data samples. So that was important, having real data to work with, clear objectives. Yeah. And then we did a lot of early experiments, quick prototyping, a lot actually in Tableau. Mm -hmm. There was, which I often do anyways, but there yeah. was a nice, um, it was nice in this way that also the team at Deutsche Bahn and Christian had some experience with Tableau so they could use it directly, test it out in realistic settings with real data. So yeah. we were in the position to really quickly try realistic yeah, uh, prototypes and, that's and figure out which forms step, right? of visualization yeah. actually deliver which value. And then as usual, you hit some wall with the pre-made tools and you get a bit frustrated why of the course. color scales keep changing yeah. and then you build, <laughs> then you build your own uh, sort of system in, in D3 and React so we have a good setup by now to also quickly whip up custom uh, design code and, and I think we built this first prototype probably in a couple of months I would say that already shows the main views that are also later present in the application mm -hmm. and this was the most important basis then to say okay this is something useful, this this will be useful if we add the following features or if we make the following modifications and then we went into this in a more structured uh, production process with a larger team and, and really rolled out a first prototype 
After another few months, that, that later was the basis for the production version. How does it work? You make sketches or you use what comes out of Tableau to get initial feedback from people? or So, so we had, yeah, so I, I had tab, Tableau prototypes, a custom code prototype okay, with different yeah. variations. At yeah. some point, we also printed out different um, UI elements, like here's a map, here's a list, uh, here's a calendar. How could we combine these? How would you go through these when you search for and this you show this to the end users and you right. get feedback and together with them okay. find out yeah. which combination, so sort of focus groups which combination kind of, of use makes sense, yeah. which order of things makes sense, and this relatively quickly turned into this information hierarchy from left to right, drilling down through time from left to right yeah. by going into descending panels, basically. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, and then later, so this is all yeah, quick and dirty, sort of also abstracting a bit from the really complicated stuff, defining the, the basic skeleton of the application and the, the basic workings. And then, um, yeah, then also uh, people like Christian Lesser, for instance, came into play, who can sort of yeah, get these rough sketches into something <laughs> that, that actually works well. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, so I guess uh, I came in uh, when the first prototype was yeah, there. Yeah. And this was really like interesting to see, like uh, seeing the first prototype, how this already worked. And I worked, I guess, at the site architecture, first of all. So we refined a little bit, how do you drill down those uh, to the trains? So mm. this was really important, mm -hmm. I guess, to really get something stable there. And then we went to the uh, headquarter and interviewed the people again, did some, um, yeah, some interviews, watched how they're working, what other tools they are using, mm. really user-centered, so to say. Yeah. And then I did some wireframes, of course. Yeah. But the good thing was that the prototype was already there. So it yeah. was more like refining how mm. we would like to have it instead mm. of really like building everything from sketch from mm -hmm. a design tool, like okay. or from a, yeah, from sketch or yeah, from yeah, Photoshop yeah. or something like that. Okay. So it was more like a ping pong. So mm -hmm, this was mm -hmm. really great for the beginning. And then I had the, the chance to really like when we were finished with the prototype, uh, like the real prototype in, in June, uh, to figure out, okay, what, uh, features should come next. Uh, how should we change certain things? So I did a lot of interviews. This was great. And we had the uh, opportunity to track a lot of things. Hmm. So we could combine uh, the quality of research by asking people with uh, tracking uh, their yeah, behavior. Because sometimes you ask them, but they don't really realize what they are doing because yeah, you do so many problem. things automatically, right? Yeah. yeah. So we were able, so we did another uh, visualization that visualized how they go through the whole system. Yes. So we figured out uh, when are they clicking where, how Ooh. do they search. And we realized there are other maybe user groups that also using the system uh, in a different way. So how many users are we talking about, roughly speaking? That's a good question. Is it the order of, <laughs> say, 5, 10, 20, you have To 50. differentiate between the regular users that use it on a regular yeah. basis and the total amount of unique users that we have. So I guess unique users we had or we have 1,600. Yeah. I would say groups maybe are three. What do you think, Christian? So three I to think, five. Yeah, I think there are heavy users uh, like mm -hmm. in traffic control yeah. who yeah. use it every day and several mm -hmm. times a mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. I'd say a group of like around 10 people. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then yeah, you have at revenue management um, people who use it depending on the day, for example, around Christmas and Good. Eastern. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a, there's really a peak in the um, 
number of users there, you have probably 20, 30 additional users that work heavily with the tool. Yeah. Uh, and then there were really a lot of people who um, also from top management just, you know, used mm -hmm. it to understand how the traffic situation is basically on a specific day since um, it's always helpful helpful if you communicate about you know how the how basically the passenger load is not only to tell them well you know we have an average um, passenger load of X percent but basically you know you can look at it you see on a map where the where the passengers are actually going so there are a lot of people that use it probably on an on and off basis but yeah. Um, so these are the three type of groups, I'd say, heavy users. Um. One idea that Christian also brought in that I find really exciting is the idea of UX metrics. Mm -hmm. And this is based on the Google Heart framework, which is like a bigger like conceptual, but also technical framework, uh, mostly a conceptual framework yeah. for how to, on the one hand, define very well which type of behavior you, you, yeah. you're aiming for, yeah. you know, yeah. at the users, but also defining how you measure if you get there. And often people just focus on how much, you know, views or how many views yeah. or yeah. volume. Yeah? yeah. But sometimes yeah. you also want specific actions to happen uh, or C specific qualities of happen. And of we are set up to both define it, but also measure it. So yeah. we understand if the design we do actually does the right thing. Yeah. So I guess so the HERD framework uh, stands for happiness, <laughs> for engagement, adoption, retention and task success. Uh -huh. So th the good thing there is, so you set goals, what you, for example, we have this comment window where you mm. can put comments in there. So, huh. and we About said, a okay, train or a part of a okay, train. Yeah. yeah. So what we would like to have that we want to figure out, okay, how can we increase the engagement, right? That you yeah. put more comments in there. Yeah. So how do you then uh, figure out, okay, you need a signal to really count how many people doing com yeah, comments. Yeah, yeah. So so you have the goal you want to reach uh, to rise engagement. You have to signal the amount of comments maybe. Yeah. Uh, how many maybe people are looking for that comment yeah. or group that comment. And then you come up with a metrics that means uh, like per month or so. Mm -hmm. And so what we do now, right now is like we had the, uh, the tracking in the beginning. That means you count everything, so to say. Yeah. But then for specific feature, now we go with this kind of metrics to say, uh, in the beginning of these features, uh, we say, okay, we want to reach this. Mm -hmm. And through a certain time after like developing these features, we are uh, tracking the signals yeah. and, and then figuring out, okay, did it work? Uh, should we change it? And so on. So the ultimate goal is to see if you, if you have to make some changes in the UI to... Yeah. Uh, um, say optimize or if changes the, we make have yeah. the right effect basically. yes okay and it's full data inception yeah. because now <laughs> we have visualizations about our visualization <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah so we measure how people use our visualization showing the data and always and it's also one important part is um, oftentimes complex features are built for a very long time and then they are made available to the users so and we decided to we go a very lean approach um, to build something very, very basic and see how are they using it. So in the context of uh, comments or notes, right, yeah. we looked at what are they and how are, what are they entering in terms of text. And then this led for us to a more, like to the insight that comments are more used like a tagging system, let's say. And this is how this very small iter iterations contribute a lot to the evolution of those features across the app. So not doing everything at once, but really start with the MVP and then just build it out gradually from there on. So so then the system in play is in place. Uh, people are using it, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, very successfully. 
So what's coming up next? You're still working on the project, right? Yeah, I mean, the exciting thing about it is it's a long-term effort. Yeah. Um, there's tons of different requirements, interests, and other needs to look at similar or the same kind of data or similar data or maybe even adding contextual data to mm. what we are doing right now around the like predictions. Weather. Weather, events in Germany. Um, they, those things also have a, a great um, impact on how the trains are being used. Um, and so... We have this further develop. We have this uh, setting for further development, which is organized loosely around iterations, in which we say like, okay, we gather for like one, um, a couple of sprints and into intense further development phase for, for around like one one and a half months. Then we let it sit for a while, look at how it's used, uh, and help use this to reinform the next stage of development and then from from all times uh, from all sides there are uh, impulses coming in to, to the team it's like hey also this would be inter interesting or could we also build this and then we have to also see how we um, not let it grow to in, in in such an extreme ways that the ui system becomes incoherent mm. and that the, you know that the yeah, user interface remains under right. feature yeah, creep exactly, exactly. Mm. so yeah. we need to make sure we also transition it into a nice modular system that can handle multiple different roles and, and workloads and requirements to usage yeah. and still yeah. have a unique uh, and, and coherent design system and also visual language that yeah. is consistent across the entire application. When the kids are growing up, you know, yeah. things yeah. change. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As you know, Enrico. And I guess, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, maybe I guess you get requests also from your users of features that they may want to have. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not just the users that are related closely, closely to the tool. Yes, <laughs> sometimes it's uh, really interesting which other departments within Deutsche Bahn yeah. are getting in contact with us uh, because they find it also useful and that these are things are, that, that we, we would have never been able to uh, estimate at the beginning of the project. It's like yeah. a little wave that kind of like or a little like yeah a chain reaction that happens there because people see it and say like, oh that would be great for what I am doing and so there's constantly new input uh, mm. arriving at our desks and uh, it's a sometimes also a challenge but a nice one to have uh, to integrate all of this into peak spotting yeah and and i probably would add that at the same time i think that there you know some tasks change of people that are working with the tool yeah. so that oh, yeah. also has to be reflected in the tool there are sometimes changes in what kind of data can be used right mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. a little bit more precise or additional data sources so um the tool basically i think needs to evolve with the needs of the users and yeah. i think that's also the challenge you know to make sure that you understand which user tasks probably have to be adapted or which have to be prioritized mm -hmm. besides the the long list of requests mm -hmm. yeah Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing we should also mention is that, well, we are used to building quick projects and putting them on the web or in mm, exhibitions. Yeah, you know, we're more yeah, yeah. in this realm. Yeah. And now we did the first time something in, in I mean, a big corporation app, like this. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And also it, it was, it worked really well for a couple of reasons. You know, we're lucky that everything came together that way to yeah. build such quickly such a focused product yeah. but now we also have the task of course of integrating it with the larger corporate yeah, infrastructure mm -hmm. fulfilling all the requirements that and the software politics, and the context needs to take the <laughs> politics yeah. and these things are not to be underestimated of course. and if we think about why yeah. don't we see more of these cool innovative solutions yeah. I think a big part is also 
what needs to go around, around it, it is yeah. much bigger <laughs> than the actual like of course cool visualization yeah, and yeah. it's it's a whole ecosystem actually micro ecosystem yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that needs to come together and, and for um, for a team that is mainly consisting of trained designers who of course also know yeah. technical things very yeah. well but uh, it's kind of um, it can also be challenging or a little bit scary if you think about the actual potential that this application could have integrating it into the live operating systems. Mm, so sure. right now we observe data uh, and people do actions uh, based on what they see. But what if the actions can be done directly from within the app yeah. or even at some point automatically? Because I mean, yeah. this is sort of the entire process on the long run that we are going through is to figure out what processes can we observe that um, we can automate in a certain way, sure. but then you're starting to have an impact on a, on the actual railway system. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, um, mm. it's an exciting thing to, for, for such a well-designed tool to, 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 to kind of grow into that role, but also it's a very high responsibility and, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you are mentioning here is a very interesting aspect of how visualization can be a way to transition, intermediary way to transition to more automation, right? Yeah. Because you need first to understand something. And then once you understand it better, now you can automate some of it, right? Is, is that correct, Christian? Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Uh, what, He's what, nodding. What, <laughs> <laughs> no, what Stefan uh, also mentioned is that um, data visualization can be enormously helpful in different phases of working with complex data. And yeah. so I think that really a lot of firms, at least in Germany, have invested a lot of money in the last five to ten years and resources in bringing together large sets of data, yeah. data lakes yeah. or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever yeah. you call them. And now they are accessible and usable for yeah. fancy algorithms. But yeah. um, that is something to enable really people interact with the data where you need data visualization. Yeah. And in the first stage where it's not even about automizing decisions, it's really yeah. about understanding complexity by exactly. providing a synopsis. Mm. And uh, the other thing is really to, to de-average the view, right? To give you yeah. the aggregate number, but also enable you quickly to understand what are the data points behind that, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. extremely important because if you're looking at the whole system and say, well, the average passenger load is X, that doesn't really help you. Yeah. You need to understand mm. how the spread is between the trains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then if you move on basically into a world where um, you uh, add not only, you know, you don't only have complex data, but you add some sort of signals to the data that uh, people should focus on because by techniques like machine learning, you identify interesting points, right? Whatever yeah. interesting means, it could be like data points where out of experience you think these are trains where you should really put a focus on. Data visualization is again crucial to make sure that you can do that quickly. You know, yeah. Quick filtering signal from the noise. And I think the final transition is indeed then um, what InfoPlus uh, was, you know, presented by uh, Fernanda and Martin from from Google. That if you are in the last phase where you have automized decisions, you need some sort of way to explain to users yes, what happened. Exactly. Because yeah. I mean, these still are even if we don't look at decisions like you know the train has to start to stop here, but uh, even revenue uh, decisions or yield decisions, there needs to be some sort of explanation on why the system decided to do mm, something. Yeah. Mm. If you don't have that, people yeah. won't trust the system and since the people that are responsible for that stay the same, they need some yeah. sort of help transitioning in a world yeah. where yeah. more and more algorithms really, uh, you know, make decisions or at least are part of the decision making. Yeah, I guess you don't want to mess up with the railway system, right? Yeah. I mean, no, and, <laughs> and even with the revenue side, right? So if it's not about safety, but if it's, you know, <laughs> losing money, money, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> And that's right. what, but that was also one uh, observation that we had in the in the user interviews. Let's say a traffic control or something like that. There was a very human observation that I made for, of Deutsche Bahn because yeah. uh, um, I assumed many more decisions were already kind of automated in a way, um, but 
I realized many decisions on a daily basis have to be done by humans and they need to write it kind of information. They can make these uh, decisions on how they want to, you know, if, if, if a train should leave earlier or wait a few minutes or something like that. They do these inform um, decisions, they make these decisions and uh, that's also fine. Like if they decide it in this way, it's a very critical phase of two minutes. They decide in a certain way. That's fine. They don't get any like bad consequences because it's a high pressure situation, but it's a very human system. So that also changed my perspective as a traveler on this yeah. network. And yeah. imagine if you as a traveler even get this kind of information on why something happens in the network in according mm -hmm. in a yeah. certain way. That would be mm -hmm. extending even peak spotting to the public, you know. <laughs> and it's yeah. actually amazing if you look at, I mean, some of the people working with the tools, they, you know, do this type of job for now 10 or 20 20 years and sometimes the way that they based on intuition experience make decisions is actually uh, well really good right amazingly yeah. uh, oh, yeah. well compared to what yeah. you would have if you just used an algorithm so you also need to somehow take this knowledge and intuition and gut feeling that you probably can't even put in an algorithm yeah. and make sure that it's still accounted for it or some sort of a hybrid decision making mm -hmm. that, you know, presents people information that the data or the algorithms come up with, but also leaves room for their decision making, a better informed decision making. Yes. Oh, that, that's a very exciting conjunction between people, data, algorithms, right? Mm. I, my sense is that we, we're still discovering how to do that, right? Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's one of those projects that help probably everyone understand how to do that better, right? I think that's another reason why it's exciting. And um, I think another interesting aspect is that here you are innovating within a really big corporation, right? Not corporation, organization. And uh, so how do you, how do you make... How do you move steps within? I, I'm surprised that you 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 managed to do something so innovative in a such a big organization. How how do you do that? You stay under the radar. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Stealth mode. Yeah. Stealth yeah. mode. Yeah. Yeah. You make a small little right? the data visualization squad in comes in yeah. and stays yeah. very stealth mode. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to see more projects like this blossom, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I would encourage our listeners if you if you see any opportunity to do anything like that, I, I would love to see more of that because that's so I think that's the real deal. Besides <laughs> the design uh, uh, process, we can also talk about it. A little bit about this, but uh, I would like to talk about the uh, organizational aspects first. Um, the most crucial thing is you need to have someone like Christian um, who knows where to get what from the organization, what kind of data, what kind of support in managing parts of the infrastructure or making sure we have a, a fast way through some decisions or something like that, yeah. right? You need someone who's very, who's an ambassador within the organization yeah. that understands the value that is about to be created and is also frankly being able to take, take on risk. Yeah. that is involved yeah. with this process because innovation is always like, I mean, in the, in the end, it's all good. It's innovative. Yay. But it means also you can <laughs> fail. Innovation yeah. is controlled failing. Uh, <laughs> um, you try out things and they go wrong. So you need someone within the organization who acts like an ambassador and knows the organization very well and can make sure you, you, you don't get too much attention too early. Yeah. You need to stay yeah. under, <laughs> under the radar to be left alone, to be able to get to a concrete result And once that result is done, you show it to the organization and then yeah. people will get all kinds of like, you will get attention and then you have to moderate that. But before that, you will never get to that point if you have too much attention too early in the process. That's super important. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, looking from the internal perspective of organization, you need some, um, how to put that leg, uh, leg space. Uh, you know, it's, so that really depend, depends on the setting. If you're setting up a project like this, so in my case, basically my boss was very, you know, willing to give us a lot of leg space and saying, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Go mm -hmm. ahead. There, you know, we started actually with a quite a small budget, which that was very yeah. helpful because, I mean, um, well, it, it enables you to just start and then based on workshops, come up with something that's tangible and then you yeah. can create in our case I think excitement mm. and people willing to say oh you know that looks interesting you let's move a, small, a step further a small snowball first and hopefully yeah. it turns into a bigger one yeah. and then we had also I mean that uh, probably you mentioned uh, Moritz the, the pieces of the puzzle that have to come together we had also uh, really a good team on Deutsche Bahn of you know the mm -hmm. people that were representatives of the roles that we were designing the tool for mm -hmm. right so in all the workshops there was always uh, for each role someone who was a representative who basically mm -hmm. tried to give feedback on what is useful what is helpful and um, was really open-minded in doing that which is you know yeah. Needs, needs to be there and sure. um, yeah, I think that existed in this case. I guess what I found as a designer was really great that um, we didn't had an NDA, so to say. Christian <laughs> was really open and to say, hey, yeah. we, mm. we put it into the light, right? Mm. We, we bring it to awards, we want to show it, we, we, we show what we do here. Of course, we have to fake the data, but yeah. we were able to really present the tool yeah. because I guess a lot of companies doing those kinds of tools but you don't see them. Yeah, that's that's because, a really good point. Yes, yeah, so, that's a really so good it point. was really like bold from you to say, hey, I, I show it to everybody. Yeah. Well, that, again, that's also a decision, you know, in, in the case of Deutsche Bahn, where you have to go to your boss and ask. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to give this credit probably then to my my, um, my boss back then. Um, but yeah, I think that that's probably true, right? I was also wondering in um, how many cases you have these type of applications that are just not shown to the outside world because yeah. people are still, at least in Germany, very skeptical about sharing, I mean, not the yeah. real data because we're not showing the real data, but uh, about showing these kind of tools. Mm. Um, on the other hand, um, what I've also heard that people at Deutsche Bahn think it's good to share it because it also attracts talent, right? I mean, of course, of course. it's good if you see yeah. that an organization develops these innovative tools and works mm. with certain type of technology. So that's actually something that companies should be more, more interested in and because they want to Uber, attract... Airbnb, yeah, Salesforce, exactly, yeah. they put their tools out in the world because exactly. they know it's a proof of competence. Yes, exactly. But yeah, in Germany, the situation not many, is a bit Not many corporations yeah. <laughs> uh, understand that point, especially yeah. in Germany. Yeah, yeah I want to see more, more organizations like that competing on, on this designing and realizing these type of tools. It's, it's a great, great great trend and i guess the overarching lesson learned is find good good people within organizations to work with well and, and probably just to add the the piece of the puzzle that is also important the SWAT team right so i think yeah. that in our <laughs> yeah. case really had a great team i mean looking at people sitting here at the table that you know came up with really great visualizations that yeah. people really liked uh, and of course that's also crucial you know <laughs> having a really great product that depends <laughs> on the experts that know what they do and can you know create a lot of excitement but alone is not enough. So it's yes. necessary, yeah. exactly. but not sufficient. <laughs> not sufficient. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much. That's been a, a lot of fun interviewing you in uh, in, in <laughs> live. For <laughs> real. For real. <laughs> um, yeah. Congratulations for this great project, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about what happens next. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. 
So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel. Uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.